Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Well, tonight I want to look in Daniel chapter 9, and I'll read verses 20 through 27 here in a little bit. Um, you know, years ago I had re- read this story about a, a man named Kevin Bow. And he decided to declare his three-bedroom house and the 1.3 acres of land that he had, he decided to declare it as his own country. Just that one, his little plot of land, it was going to be his own country. He said, I'm going to be king over the Republic of Malaysia. I have no idea what Malaysia is. But anyway, you know, and he, he wore one of them khaki-style uniform things kind of to play up the part. And according to this article that was in the Chicago Tribune, uh, he even had his, his own space program. Of course, it was a model rocket. And he had his own currency, but it was tagged to the value of chocolate chip cookie dough. Uh, he had his own railroad. Of course, it was a model railroad. And he even had his own sport, uh, broomball. And um, he even had his own navy, even though he was landlocked. It was an inflatable boat. Um, you know, and yeah, he, he said it was all a joke. It was all for fun. I mean, he was just, you know, being silly. But I found it interesting because, you know, we all want to be in control of what happens around us, be it, you know, being in control of our nation. And it would be nice if we were in control of the future. Like, you know, if we could just shape the future our way, it, it would be great. But the problem is there's only one who knows and shapes the future and the only one who controls uh, everything that goes on, and it sure ain't us. Uh, God alone moves history the way that he sees fit. And, you know, most of the time he doesn't tell us what's going to happen in the future. I mean, we'd like to know. You know, I'd like to know the future. I'd like to plan accordingly. I'm not one of those who's very spur of the moment. I, I just don't like things kind of springing on me, so to speak. You know, I kind of want to know what's going to happen so I can plan, so I can make, pretty much decide if I want to be around or if I want to be elsewhere or something, you know, find something else to do. But um, that's just not life. It'd be nice to know the future. It'd be nice to be able to control things. It'd be nice to be able to plan. It'd be nice if God would reveal these things, but normally he doesn't. But one time he did. Well, at least the one time we're looking at it, obviously in, in uh, the Old Testament, uh, he, he revealed some things here and there. But, but he actually revealed to Daniel what he was going to do in the future with the people of Israel. Uh, Daniel uh, had been praying to God because Daniel, he was reading Scripture. He was reading the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah. He saw that, that God had, had said that the people would be in captivity for 70 years, and the 70 years was almost up. And he's like, well, okay, the 70 years is almost up. What's going to happen? Well, what, what's, what's going to go on with my people? What's going to go on with me? What's God going to do? Well, God did reveal what would happen next might be a little bit clouded in, in you know, the way visions are, but he did reveal what would happen with the people of Israel over the next several centuries. And it's interesting 
It's also a frustrating chapter because of uh, all the debate about what in the world is actually, it actually says. Uh, and so we'll, we'll touch on, on that a little bit. But I want to uh, read in Daniel chapter 9. Let me just read verses 20 through 27 here uh, real quick. And so Daniel, he just finished his prayer. And he writes here, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God uh, for the holy hill of my God, that's Jerusalem, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me to understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are declared about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So, yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot there. Um, Daniel was anxious. And, you know, we, we may try and pretend otherwise, but we get anxious about the future. I mean, I, I do. You know, I, I, I worry and stress just, just like everybody else, even though I, I mean, I got all the, that theological junk in, in my brain. You would think I would know better. But you know what? We humans, we have a tendency to just take the theology we know and just kind of put it to the side and do our thing. And we get anxious about the future, even though we know who's in charge of the future. And Daniel may have been a little bit anxious here. He was a little anxious because he knew Jeremiah's prophecy was coming to an end. So, so now that the 70 years is almost up, I mean, is the, are the people going to be restored to the land? Are we going to be able to rebuild Jerusalem? Are we going to be able to rebuild the temple? What does the future hold for the nation? Because the nation's just kind of spread out throughout the Babylonian uh, empire. Uh, and, and it's spread out through the, you know, then spread out through the Persian uh, Medo-Persian Empire. Um, what's going to happen to my nation? What's going to happen to my people? You know, it's kind of some of the same questions we ask about our own nation and uh, our, our own people and our own existence. But, but God gave something uh, to Daniel. We, we, we wish that he would give it to us, but, you know, he, he, I mean, he could, I suppose, if he wanted to. 
But he, he sent an answer to Daniel by, by sending a messenger to Daniel to give kind of the answer to the prayer. So here Daniel is praying and he's confessing sin and, and you know, he, he's just laying things um, before God. And he sends a messenger to give kind of a direct answer to what it was that Daniel was praying about and what Daniel was uh, anxious about. And so, so God sends Dan, uh, Gabriel to Daniel to announce, okay, this is going to happen in Israel's future. This is what uh, kind of is in store for your people. Um, and it's interesting that the way that uh, he puts it, you know, Daniel, he lifted up his prayer at the first part of the chapter, and, and, and Gabriel says, well, I mean, you know, the minute that your prayer left your lips, God sent me. You know, God, God dispatched Gabriel with, with the answer. Again, it would be nice if God would do that uh, for us as well, but sometimes that's just not his will. This was, you know, his will. He wanted, he wanted Daniel to know what was going to happen, so he would write it down so everybody else would kind of know what would be happening over the next several hundred years for his people. Uh, but God, now, you know, God does dispatch answers to prayer, so to speak, Maybe not by an angel, but I mean, he does dispatch answers to prayer. Maybe not in the timing that we would like, but he does. And that's why, you know, it's, I mean, it's kind of perfect that we, we sang the songs that we did. What a friend we have with Jesus. I mean, we come to him in prayer and an answer will be given. Even if the answer is wait, no, yes, whatever, you know, it, some answer will be given. Daniel's praying. What's going to happen with my people? Well, here it is. Here's the plan, Daniel. The plan involves 70, the ESV says, weeks. 70 weeks. The Hebrew literally says 70 sevens. 70 sets of seven. Now, you know, um, almost all conservative scholars are in agreement that it's talking about years. And so 70 sets of seven years I don't know how they did multiplication back then, but we know that makes 490, I believe. You can check my math, but that, that should make 490. So there in the future, something's going to happen with Israel, and it involves a 490-year period. Something special is going to happen with the nation, and it involves this 490 years. I mean, more specifically, what happens at the end of the 490 years, but I mean, it involves 490 years. And it, it's interesting, the number 490 has significance for Israel. There is a, already a 490 years that Israel, the people of Israel, should already have in their mind. I'll try and explain it, but be patient with me while I try and, try and explain this. So God in his law. His law said for the people, once that they came into the land and they took over the land, According to Exodus 23.11, Leviticus 25, verses 20 through 22, you enter into the promised land. For six years, you do your agriculture, you sow, you reap, you do agriculture for six years. On the seventh year, leave it alone. Leave the land alone. Leave it fallow. Don't plant. Don't do nothing. Let it be. Let it restore itself. Let it grow wild. Let whatever happened, happen. 
and then the following year, you can start again. Six years of sowing and reaping. Seventh year, it's a Sabbath. It's a Sabbath year. Sabbath year for the land. So they were told, this is the law of God. Six years, do your agriculture. Seventh year, let it rest. Another six years. God told them what would happen. If you do not follow my law, allow the land to rest on that Sabbath year, here's what's going to happen. According to Leviticus 26, verses 34 and 35. It says, The land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you're in the enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. You know, when you're in the enemy's land, when you're in captivity. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest. And the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. You know, he's saying, God's saying, okay, here's the thing. If you don't do this, you're going to be taking, taken into captivity. And guess what? While you're in captivity, the land's going to enjoy the Sabbath rest that I had intended for it to have. So, that's pretty clear. But, you know, humans are humans. They don't follow the rules. Around the time of Solomon, Israel stops obeying the law of the Sabbath year. The nation did not let the land rest for, you guessed it, 490 years. 490 years, it did not follow the law about the Sabbath year, the Sabbath rest. Therefore, according to Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29, Israel was taken into captivity for 70 years, one year for every Sabbath year that it, did, it didn't follow, that it decided to ignore. 490 years of disobedience, followed by 70 years of captivity, and, you know, maybe some other years in there just with other political stuff. And so now Gabriel is saying, okay, you had the 490 years of disobedience. You've had, you're going to have this time of captivity. God has declared that there's this other 490-year cycle. or you know, I'm, I'm, He is decreeing 490 years of something special for Israel. I mean, it's kind of symmetrical, I mean, isn't it? 490 years, captivity, another 490 years. So it's, Gabriel says that the 490 years would begin, would start when a decree was given for the restoration and rebuilding of Jerusalem. Now here's where a little bit of, of debate comes in. What, which decree is it talking about? Because the, the different Medo-Persian kings gave d different decrees. Now, the original decree was given by Cyrus. The problem is, you know, when Cyrus gave the decree, that was, would be in well, what, what is considered the late 5th century, you know, 490 years for, from his decree would have been in the middle of the 1st century B.C. Well, you know, nothing kind of lines up there. Unless, of course, our calendar in, in, at that time is just way off, which that's a possibility. So, you know, that, that's one possibility. Uh, what seems to make more sense is that either there was this decree given by King Artaxerxes in Ezra chapter 7, and that would have been around 457 B.C., 
Or uh, Artaxerxes uh, gave a decree in Nehemiah chapter 2, which would have been around 445 B.C. And so, you know, a lot of scholars think that, okay, one of, the, one of those two decrees, that's when that 490 years starts. But it's interesting. Gabriel splits the 490 years into three different sections. You got seven weeks, you got uh, six, you know, or 49 years, you got 62 weeks, and then you got this other, other week going. So you have this, this first seven sevens, 49 years, and what happened in those first 49 years is that Jerusalem and the temple and the wall and everything else was rebuilt. So then you have, okay, another 62 sevens, and, uh, or 62 weeks. And it says that it would be a troubled time, according to verse 25. Well, you know, in the intervening years, Israel had a lot of trouble with their Gentile oppressors, especially with the Greek Empire. And, you know, Antiochus Epiphanes and, and those, they, they uh, desecrated the temp, rebuilt temple. They did a, a lot of persecution against the Israelites. So it was a time of trouble. Seven sevens, 62 sevens, that's 69 sevens. I couldn't do the math in my head, but, you know, you look it up, that's 483 years. Okay, that's all fine and dandy. That takes us into the first century AD. But then there's that one seven, one week, all by its little lonesome. And that's the one that gives everyone all the fits. There's not a general consensus or agreement about what happens and when it happens. What, what is going on with this last week? Now, you know, one particular view has gotten a lot more, I guess if you want to call it, a lot more press than some of the other views. I mean, it's out there more. Um, we don't have time to go through all the different views, but let me, let me give you summaries of two interpretations of what's kind of going on here. And then I'll probably just next week have to, you know, dig a little deeper into the verses themselves. Um, but, uh, so there's the, the premillennial dispensational view. That's the, the view that, you know, you, you all are probably more familiar with. It's the most popular view. It's the kind of view that was depicted in the Left Behind series. Uh, David Jeremiah, John Hagee, that's the view they kind of put out there. It, it gained a lot of attention when Hal Lindsey put out his, his books, you know, Late Great Planet Earth, and his other books in the 70s and 80s. You know, they became bestsellers. Now, according to this view, so the first 69 sevens, the 483 years, they would lead to the first advent of Christ. But then upon whatever event in Christ's life, the timeline stops. You have your 69 weeks, your 483 years, the timeline stops, and there's a pause. And then the 70th week, the 70th seven happens later. The 70th week in this view is reserved for the period immediately prior to Christ's second coming. So kind of, I'm kind of mishmashing the different premillennial views together, but the 70th week is a seven-year period that begins when a covenant is made between the nation of Israel and a prince who is to come, believed to be the Antichrist. 
that is somehow connected to ancient Roman Empire. And this covenant is some sort of peace treaty, might involve rebuilding the temple too and things like that. But according to some, what immediately precedes this covenant is the disappearance of millions of people. Now the people who are left on the earth, they have no idea what in the world is going on, but well, the Christians aren't around anymore to tell them what happened because it's the rapture. So people are caught up in the rapture, then this prince makes a, uh, a covenant with, uh, with, with Israel. So this prince who is to come, the Antichrist, he's going to be a strong political, military, religious leader who's going to set up some sort of worldwide system of government, commerce, and religion. And it's going to quickly turn uh, totalitarian. It's, it's going to be very big brotherish. Any who oppose him are going to be crushed. Now, in the midst of the 70th week, a three-and-a-half-year period, he's going to break the covenant, and he's going to take over and desecrate the temple and usher in a period of great trial and suffering for the Jews and anybody who comes to Christ during that period. That's, that period is often referred to as the Great Tribulation. The time of Great Tribulation isn't only because of the Antichrist, though, but because God is going to be pouring out his judgment on the earth. So the last three and a half years of that seven-year period is going to be very difficult, but it will end with the coming of Christ, who will usher in a 1,000-year earthly reign. Now, one of the biggest critiques of that particular view, and you know, it's something that just kind of eats at me as, as well, is that where does the break between the 60, the 69th and the 70th week comes from because there's nothing necessarily within the context of Daniel 9 that says there's some sort of break in there I mean it's there's you have your 7 your 62 and your 1 well if you're going to have a pause between the 62 and the 1 why isn't there a pause between the 7 and the 62 and you know you think about the other visions that are given in Daniel what about the what about the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw I mean it just flows you have all the different parts of the statue, and then, you know, here comes Christ. Here comes the stone. You have the, his, well, Daniel had his vision of, of the beasts that come out of the water. You have the successive beasts, and then the, the Son of Man comes to set up his kingdom. So, you know, that, I, so you re wrestle with that. Where, where, does, where does the break come in? How do you, how do you break that up? So that, that's the premillennial dispensational view. Then there's something called the partial preterist view. And I'm using all these technical terms. Partial preterist means that, it, that it's partially fulfilled. Um, and those who hold more of an amillennial or postmillennial view of end times, there's tons of different versions of this, this one as well. But according to this view, the 483 years leads to somewhere in the 26-27 A.D. time period, leading to the baptism of, of Christ. So that the, the seven two, they lead to the baptism of Christ. And the 70th week begins at his baptism. So you look at what happens uh, during that, and they say that, okay, so verses 26 and 27, they're parallel to one another, 
and it talks about what happens within that week and then some of the consequences of what happens. So like the first part of verse 26 and the first part of verse 27 parallel with one another, the last part of 26 and the last part of 27 uh, parallel with one another. According to verse 26, after that 62nd, or the 62 weeks, an anointed one, it's the same word as Messiah, would be cut off in the middle of of that week. And they believe it refers to the crucifixion. And then the second half of verse 26 talks about the future consequences. Because the Jewish people would, would not follow Christ, Christ would, send, would, would, have, would, would judge uh, Israel. It's not part of the seven weeks. So that's one of the weak links of this. You know, the, there's things that it talks about that don't happen within the, that 70th week. But anyway, verse 27 picks up on the parallelism. In the beginning, it says that there was going to be a, a covenant. Um, now, most English translations say there'll be a covenant for one week, but the word for isn't there in the Hebrew. Uh, it might be more literally translated, one week shall establish the covenant with many. So within that one week, this covenant would be made. Well, it's talking about the covenant of, um, you know, that Christ makes the new covenant through his crucifixion. And then again, the last ver part of verse 27 talks about the abominations and desolations that would happen in A.D. 70. So, you know, it, it talks about that in the midst of that 70th week, the Messiah, the anointed one, would be cut off. Well, what's half of seven, three and a half years? How long was Jesus' ministry from his baptism to his crucifixion? Three and a half years. So they, uh, that what they see it as is it's talking about Christ, it's talking about his crucifixion, what that's going to bring, the new covenant that that brings, and then when Israel uh, rejects their Messiah, the consequences for that. Again, you know, the, the weakness of, of that view is, well, it, it's adding things that don't happen in the 70th week. And so, um, you know, we don't have a lot of time tonight. I just wanted to put those summaries out there so uh, next week maybe, you know, be able to look at the individual verses a, a little bit more closely. But whatever view you might hold, we are thankful for what Christ's death and resurrection accomplished. And I do believe verse 24 is talking about what, what Christ accomplished through his crucifixion and resurrection. It says that it finished the transgression and it put an end to sin. For all those who believe in Jesus Christ, your transgression and sin are not held against you. It's gone. It's as far as the east is from the west. It is thrown in the ocean, never to be brought back up again. Our sins and transgressions are not held against us. It says that, you know, it talks about uh, the atonement for iniquity. Christ atoned for our iniquity. And through Christ, we're given ever, everlasting righteousness. And verse 24 says that the vision is sealed. And, it, you know, it's talking about how a, a king would seal a document saying that, you know, whatever is written in here is secured. It cannot be changed. It will not be, you know, no one can change what's in, inside that document. Well, our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Nothing can change what God has decreed. Yeah, the Jews rejected their Messiah. But we don't have to. 
No one has to reject the Messiah. You can believe on him and your sins and iniquities are forgiven and never to be heard from again. God, you know, we all do this where, you know, somebody did something to us in the past a long time ago and then, uh, yeah, we say, yeah, 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 we forget, yeah, we forgive, we forget. And then, you know, years down the road, they do something to us again. And you're like, yeah, I remember back in 1985 when you did whatever. But God doesn't do that. God, it, when it's gone, it's gone. When it's finished, it's finished. And we don't have to worry about him kind of bringing it back up again. And we can celebrate uh, in that. And, and so, you know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And then pray for those. You know, we've been talked a lot about prayer lately. And, um, you know, for those who have not believed in Christ, pray for them so that they know, too, that their sin can be forgiven as well. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.